This is a podcast by The Straits Times. Welcome to Singapore's War on COVID, a podcast series by The Straits Times. This podcast series is based on selected chapters from a book detailing Singapore's experience battling the COVID-19 pandemic. The book, written by journalists of The Straits Times and edited by ST's executive editor Sumiko Tan, is titled In This Together, Singapore's COVID-19 Story and is available in major bookstores now. Details online at stbooks.sg. Hello, I'm Joyce Teo, a senior health correspondent at The Straits Times. I'll be reading you an edited version of Madam Irene Tan's story that I wrote for Chapter 1 of the book. Episode 1. How 24 People Saved One Life This is a story of the ordeal that a grandmother of five went through after catching COVID-19 in the early days of the coronavirus outbreak in Singapore, and how a team quickly rallied around her to save her life. In early 2020, a silent plague began to stalk populations across the world, sowing fear and illness in its path. In Singapore, retired tutor Irene Tan was determined not to become one of its victims. Fashionable, energetic and 67 years young, she was going to defeat it through her own vigilance. She carried hand sanitizer everywhere she went and wore a surgical mask while riding the bus or train, though few others did so back in February 2020. Madame Tan was so careful, she decided to steer clear of the annual Chinese New Year celebration her singing teacher had organized at Safar Jurong on February 15. For five years, she had been going to class every Wednesday to learn to sing Hokkien songs from the teacher. She had spent $60 on her ticket, but with new cases of COVID-19 springing up every day, she was willing to let it go to waste. My friend said I was kiasi, meaning scared to die. They laughed at me, she told me. About 200 people attended the boisterous February 15 event, which featured song and dance performances and lohei, the traditional tossing of a raw fish salad. Guests shuttered among tables to chit-chat and pose for wefis. A total of 47 cases would eventually be linked to the event, making it the largest cluster in 2020 before the virus spread in migrant worker dormitories. Two men, aged 70 and 73, and linked to that outbreak, would die in April and June, respectively. Around this time, Madame Tan developed body aches and a fever of 37.5 degrees Celsius. It was March 7 when Madame Tan arrived at the screening centre of the National Centre for Infectious Diseases, or NCID, a 14-storey facility in the Novena area. Looking up at the imposing building, she began to feel a sense of foreboding. 
At that time, the new coronavirus, which had surfaced in Wuhan City in China in late December 2019, had spread to 93 other countries and territories. Singapore confirmed its first case on January 23rd and had 138 cases by March 7. COVID-19 was all too real. And Madam Tan hoped the steps she had taken to be safe had protected her. Madam Tan was put in an isolation room overnight to await the results of her test. Alone in a cold and sterile environment, she tried not to get ahead of herself. The next morning, her test came back positive. Tears pricked her eyes, and she felt immense disappointment. She wanted to call her husband and children, but what would they say? We'll see how the thing goes. So I say, okay, quick, give me medicine and then I can get one. Mm. And then I, I, first thing I ask him is, how long, how long am I going to stay here? Mm. Is it one week? Mm. So I, I, I when they could not give her an answer, she fell silent, trying to process how she had become sick and if she had passed the infection to her family. Meanwhile, the contact tracing team at the Ministry of Health kicked into gear. Madam Tan's movement history was fed to the ministry, her family members were tested, everyone was negative, except one grandchild who was admitted to hospital and recovered quickly. Her husband had two negative tests. By the time Madam Tan was diagnosed, the Epidemiological Survey and Contact Tracing for the Safra Jurong Cluster had cast a net that was deep and wide. Now, it would extend even further. As Madame Tan had not gone to the dinner, her exposure had come from somewhere else. Most likely, her weekly singing lessons with some classmates who had attended the function. More than half of her class of 14 became infected with COVID-19, including a friend who had, like her, skipped the event. I'm very careful. Yeah. I stand the time Mm-hmm. I sanitize my hand. I brought oh. a sanitizer. When I go, I go by LRT. I put on masks. Mm. When I reach there, I put on masks. And maybe she knows. She said, don't need to put masks. I thought it was safe to go for singing class as we sat at our own tables. But I took off my mask to sing, Madam Tan told me. At NCID, Madam Tan was moved to the intensive care unit for closer monitoring after three days. The virus was running riot in her lungs, causing her blood oxygen level to dip and making her short of breath. After four days in the ICU, she was deemed well enough to go back to the general ward. Then, Madame Tan slept. But her oxygen levels kept dropping. The doctor on duty was Dr. Slastin Lim, a senior resident with Tan Tok Singh Hospital's geriatric medicine department. She ordered that Madame Tan's supplemental oxygen be cranked up to the maximum 100%. Also, if Madame Tan's lungs could not expel carbon dioxide efficiently, it would build up in the body, leading to organ failure. In those early months of the pandemic, the protocols for treating severely ill COVID-19 patients were being set up as doctors around the world were seeing how rapidly these patients could go from feeling fine to being deathly ill. Dr. Lim knew Madame Tan needed to return to the ICU for closer monitoring, and she would likely need to be connected to a ventilator to help her breathe. 
The transfer happened quickly. Dr. Lim called the team at the ICU to prepare a bed and rang Madam Tan's husband to tell him what they were going to do. Madam Tan said, The second time I went to the ICU, I was really very scared because I had some breathlessness and I knew it had to be serious. The door to the ICU opened to a flurry of activity. Things were being moved about and urgent conversations went on as the healthcare staff huddled to review Madam Tan's condition, which had worsened. Madam Tan recalled feeling sleepy, tired and breathless at that point. A doctor told her they were going to put her on the ventilator. I said okay, she recalled. I thought it would be a simple thing, but it was a horrible experience. Her eyes opened wide in alarm when she saw someone clad in full personal protective gear, complete with a powered air purifying respirator hood coming towards her. There's an astronaut in the room, she thought in her confusion. She then noticed that the astronaut was pulling a robot, the mechanical ventilator which would help her breathe for the next week. Dr. Chen Qingyan, a 32-year-old consultant in Tan Tok Sing Hospital's Anesthesiology Intensive Care and Pain Medicine Department, was the senior doctor leading the ICU team looking after Madame Tan. She ordered that Madame Tan be intubated, as the breathing had become more laboured and her chest X-ray was showing more white infiltrates in both lungs, indicating that the infection was spreading. Madame Tan had already been put on increasing levels of oxygen supplementation throughout the day, and there was the fear that she would not be able to sustain this very high and laboured breathing rate for much longer. There was no time to waste. Senior respiratory therapist Jessica Wang pushed a mechanical ventilator, weighing at least 80 kilograms, on its cart to the room, stopping to suit up before going inside. Madame Tan was given fast-acting sedative drugs, and in a minute or so, lost consciousness. Dr. Chen performed the intubation procedure where a breathing tube is passed into the windpipe through the mouth. This tube is then connected to a ventilator. All the medical professionals in the ICU room had to don the powered air purifying respirator hood, where air is provided via blower unit strapped to the user's waist. The hood cannot be removed in the patient's room or the user will be exposed to contamination. Pulling the hood over her head, Dr. Chun, who was intubating a COVID-19 patient for the first time, could feel claustrophobia rushing in, but she steeled herself to stay calm and focused on saving Madame Tan's life. And also because she was so unwell that mm. you basically don't really have much bandwidth to think about all these other negative thoughts and fears. Thankfully, the intubation went smoothly and was over in less than two minutes. Madame Tan's life was now supported by the machine. But that was also when her discomfort increased. She woke up to find a breathing tube in her mouth that made breathing easier but speaking or anything else impossible. She was put on an infusion of sedatives and painkillers to keep her comfortable. 
when secretions accumulated in her breathing tube and mouth like glue, someone would suit up, come in, and clear the secretions in both passages with a suction catheter. Madame Tan allowed her wrists to be loosely tied to the sides of the bed so she would not wrench the tubes out to seek relief. At night, unable to turn in her bed and bothered by the sounds of the ventilator and the light from the machines, she found it impossible to sleep. I couldn't close my mouth. My mouth and throat were very dry, she said. She cried. She was so afraid her family would get COVID-19, and she prayed. I was crying, you know, that time. Crying very badly. I said, is that you, God? Is that, you know? Tell me answer, but then I said, it must be there. If, you, if it is you, uh, please, you want to save me, don't let me suffer. Yeah, just don't make me get well fast and then I can go back. Just make me get well fast and then I can go back to take care of my grandchildren. Another time, Madame Tan prayed. I want to leave, but let me not suffer if I'm going to die. On March 25th, after about 10 days, she was able to be taken off the ventilator, though she still needed oxygen therapy. She returned to the general ward the following day. Senior physiotherapist Iqbal Sabal Rathman helped her regain physical function. Madame Tan remembers him. She said he just kept encouraging her to do the exercises. It started with just getting her out of bed and standing up. That was a minor achievement. But he found that merely taking a few steps resulted in her blood oxygen saturation level dropping till it was dangerously low. Mr. Iqbal noticed that Madame Tan did not seem to be bothered by the breathlessness, even when her oxygen level dipped below 90%. But there could be another reason Madame Tan did not complain of shortness of breath. She said she hid it from Mr. Iqbal as she was determined not to be sent back to the ICU. Nonetheless, pulse oximeters, which measure oxygen saturation, do not lie. The readings prompted Mr. Iqbal to talk to her medical team. He felt she should stay in hospital till her condition improved. She was to spend about 10 days in the general ward. Getting her well enough to go home was a whole team effort. When she could eat again and found a hospital food blend, senior medical social worker Cham Ai Ling came to the rescue with a small bottle of soy sauce. While the medical team conveyed information directly to Madame Tan's family members, Miss Cham was the one who checked in with them to see how they were coping. Caring for Madame Tan and other seriously ill COVID-19 patients was challenging. Doctors did not know then what type of treatments would work or what kind of complications could arise, said Dr. Chia Po Ying, a consultant at NCID and one of her doctors. At that time, we did not have proven therapies for COVID-19. We had only medications that seemed effective in the laboratory setting. In February 2022, I asked Dr. Chia how much things have changed when it comes to COVID treatments. I think two years on now, we have effective vaccines and that is great. 
and we also have uh, intravenous drugs that we can use. And recently, these are oral therapy like Paxlovid. It has been nearly two years since she was discharged from hospital. But Madam Irene Tan will not be taking her twice-weekly line dancing classes for a long while. She recently resumed her Hokkien singing classes, but she does them virtually. She remains careful, wearing her mask and avoiding unnecessary trips out of her home. Well, life has to go on. And I still continue my uh, singing lessons on Zoom. Yeah, yes. With this Omicron uh, variant, a lot of people getting it. And some of my classmates, they also got it. But they still attend the class because it's on Zoom. Yeah. Uh, we still get the, uh, you know, like, enjoyment, talking and very happy. Only thing we cannot have physical contact, that's all. After the ICU days, I tell her I don't want to think of it. I'm really very, very scared. Yeah, so, yes. In fact, in fact, my husband got it. So I'm so scared. But I take good care of him. I make him do all kinds of cleanliness. Don't allow him out of the room. Put food just outside the door. And uh, make him wear masks whenever he needs the restroom. And I will boil hot water to... <laughs> to go over his all the plates and dishes and spoon and everything. Yeah. So he get well quite soon. But this time round, it's not that serious. Lah. I think this uh, COVID variant. Uh, it comes fast, but it uh, not so serious. Yeah. I should say it's not so serious. After the one month in hospital and two weeks in the ICU, it really can make you very, very scared of this COVID. It's really horrible. Yeah. And I don't want to think of it sometimes when people remind me and say, no, no more. Don't talk about that. <laughs> just have to be careful. You really, you, you are just like, how to say, uh, so sad. And then you really, when you think of it, your, your tears will still run down. Yeah. It's very scary. Thanks for listening. I'm Joyce Teo for The Straits Times. In the next episode on March 28, my colleague Timothy Goh will chronicle how Singapore joined a global hunt for masks as countries quickly stopped supply lines and mask protectionism and profiteering became rampant. You've been listening to Singapore's War on COVID, a podcast series by The Straits Times. This podcast series is based on selected chapters from a book detailing Singapore's experience battling the COVID-19 pandemic. The book, written by journalists of The Straits Times and edited by ST's executive editor Sumiko Tan, is titled In This Together, Singapore's COVID-19 Story and is available in major bookstores now. Details online at stbooks.sg That was a podcast by The Straits Times. Send your feedback to podcast at sph.com.sg. Find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or via the Google Voice Assistant and Amazon Alexa-enabled devices. 
For more podcasts by The Straits Times, The Business Times and Money FM 89.3, you can also download the audio by SPH app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O.